0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. Winter meetings just wrapped up, and it is a big, fat, giant, nothing burger added to the roster, to the Major League roster. Uh, Alex Verdugo did get traded for three pitching prospects. We will be getting into that part in the second half of the show. Uh, First half will just be the lack of action. Are we frustrated? Spoiler alert. I'm really effing frustrated. Um, So, yeah. My co-host tonight, Cody Paulson, Charlie Smith. Uh, Let's start with Charlie. How are you?
1: Well, you know, this is something that we uh, had talked about not too long ago about the, the fact that dominoes are going to start to fall we knew that this wasn't going to be a domino falling for the red sox it's just a matter of time the yankees were linked to juan soto but it's uh, it's been kind of weird the last 48 72 hours for for sure you know i'm not i'm not so angry as i am just kind of like all right cool that was expected that was expected there's been one move that we're going to talk about later that was a little bit of a surprise but uh i'll, I'll leave it there cody
2: yeah, my attention has been pulled in a, in a couple of different directions the last couple of days as a Florida State alumni. Uh, so, you know, while I've been paying attention to the hot stove, we have had our own battles on on Twitter with some other nonsense. But, yeah, Charlie, like you mentioned, you know, there are things that have gone on so far that are kind of a path that you, you saw happen, right? Things that were kind of evident, players that we weren't necessarily linked to being moved. So, you know, while the offseason has been – You know, not much of note to the moment. It also hasn't been anything that has been earth shattering or, you know, devastating for the Red Sox. Right. There are no players that we were like, hey, our offseason hinges on this individual. We lost out on them or we didn't pursue them or we weren't even linked to them. So, you know, while it's, you know, you know, to use the Christmas analogy, we're getting socks at Christmas versus, you know, a PlayStation or a bike or whatnot. We don't have anything to unwrap yet, but we also didn't see the one thing we asked for go to somebody else. Terry, how are you doing? I I heard you had some frustration as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, this really does feel like sort of an extension of the Heim-Bloom regime where nothing major really happened in the winter meetings. I I can't really think. uh, I'm sure Bloom probably. Last year, we got Yoshida and, and Kenley Jansen in the winter meetings, so... I even I guess you can say bloom is has been busier but the the my big takeaway here is we're not acting like a big market team there there's nothing about the Breslow era that suggests the Red Sox are going to return to you know the the stature uh, amongst all teams that we were once at you know being a top 5 payroll team And I'm not one that sits here and screams, we got to get above the luxury tax. But man, we we just didn't do anything. And Breslow said the the key word out of his mouth was that he was going to be aggressive with starting pitching. And we didn't get that. We didn't get that at all. Here's something that bothered me earlier. Uh, Jen uh, McCaffrey had a tweet, and actually, you know what? That that part of it doesn't matter. But she she basically said that the the Red Sox met with Luis Severino on a Zoom call. Now, two things kind of horrify me about this. Number one, they actually considered him because I'm thinking he's on the injured list by some point in May for probably... A chunk of the season. So a little bit concerned there. The other epiphany I kind of had, especially since we were on the final day of the meetings and it it was abundantly clear that nothing would be happening before everybody left. The the epiphany I had was, well, if they're reaching out to Seth Lugo and uh, Lucas Giolito, sounds like they better be prepared to take a one year deal for less than 13 million because that's what Severino signed for. And apparently that was too much for the Red Sox. So I just like, when are we going to be a big market team again? Like, why is it like the most extreme risk ever to come out of the winter meetings with one solid pitcher that's not going to be of huge financial consequence? Just in case, just in case the Yamamoto uh, sweepstakes don't go our way. Like why? Like why can't why can't we be a big market team? Eduardo Rodriguez just signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and John Morosi came out with a tweet about twenty minutes before the signing, saying, "Hey." Talks are advancing with the Diamondbacks, and uh, there could be a deal soon. And I'm, I wasn't a big Erod fan. I mean, a fan of bringing him back. I, I definitely would have preferred him over a guy like Severino. But what I was thinking at that moment was, well, the Red Sox were tied to him per John Morosi and a couple other national writers. And the ironic thing is, is, so is the general manager we tried to hire a couple months ago, Mike Hazen. He's interested in him. And Arizona has a much smaller budget than the Red Sox have, yet they're willing to pay more. Again, the, like why are we getting beat by small market teams if we're in fact still a big market team? That's, that's a big source of my frustration here. We uh, we talked about this briefly on
1: the last show about certain pitchers we didn't want. And I know you were kind of getting warm and fuzzy with the with the Padres pitcher. And I want no part of anything that comes or has touched San Diego. And if we weren't willing to give thirteen million there, the ask for for him was what was it three years, fourteen per? I think you're talking about Lugo. So, yeah, Lugo was 3 at 14 per and he was expected to get about 42 million over the course of 3 years. We're not doing 13 million, so that's a bullet dodged. So then we're we're not going for premier type pitchers. At least what it looks like from the outside looking in, we're also not even going for like mid-tier pitchers. What are we doing? So are we going chips all in on Yamamoto? Is that the expectation? Because here's the thing: if Breslow doesn't get Yamamoto, we weren't going to get Soto. So let's let's not even entertain that conversation. Um, we're we're probably not going to get Snell, and that hasn't been a serious conversation either. Erod really wasn't going to come back to Boston after the way that he left. What are we? Who are we getting? And so it kind of comes back to what I said last year and people kind of hit me with it. Um, But including some of our, our co-hosts, former and present, we are not a destination city. Former superstar players that used to play for the Boston Red Sox used to, you know, had said when other players had left, like, Oh, I'm so glad for him. I'm so happy for him. Not like, Oh man, we really missed a good guy playing for us. It's, yeah, he, I'm really happy for him. He, he, he left. You know, lucky for him. That doesn't really send a positive, resounding message. There's also been a lot of hullabaloo surrounding the Red Sox over the past couple of years because of bad clubhouse presence, teammates not connecting, a manager getting suspended for an entire year. There's been all sorts of crap that's been surrounding the Boston Red Sox for a little while. And sadly, it looks like players right now... They're just distancing themselves from the Red Sox. Like, okay, cool. They're a big market team, big market, but they're unwilling to shell big money for what I think I'm worth. Yeah, I guess I'll take one or two million less per year to go play for a team that's irrelevant. All right, cool. Good luck. You're never going to go to the playoffs. You're never going to win a World Series. Playing for some of these teams, it is what it is. But that means that the Red Sox are pretty much lining themselves up for – Fifth place again maybe fourth you're not going to be able to survive with the current rotation your current offense that you have right now it's just not going to happen
0: cody more thoughts
2: Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts there. Um, You know, these past couple of free agent classes and, you know, not to rinse and repeat, there haven't really been a lot of players to go and be that big market team against. Right. You know, looking at this free agent class, like Trevor mentioned, you know, you have Snell, who's not really linked to any East Coast team, wants to go back West Coast, stay out there. I think, you know, a majority of this fan base uh, would like to have somebody like Snell on their team. But at the same time, he does come with his own concerns and his own red flags. Uh, You know, you have your Montgomery's, uh, you have your Yamamoto's, the other pitcher from Japan, but there aren't really a lot of players to go and throw the bag around at. Uh, My concern at this point in time is, you know, with the the coach of the Red Sox, Alex Cora, right? He has been doing interviews. He's been doing, you know, the car washes. And he's saying that the, the word of this year's spring training is to to compete whether it be escape rooms or Top Golf or, you know, whatever team building activities they're doing, you're going to see this team compete because that's something that we haven't been good at the last two years was his direct quote, which makes me wonder what have we been doing? What have you been doing, Alex For right? Because that is the one thing you can control is to get these guys ready, to get these guys ready to fight. And you're shipping guys out that are good in big games like Erod, good and big moments like Verdugo and you're picking public fights with these individuals. I understand that there's things behind the scenes that we don't know in the clubhouse, but these are the guys that are there to compete, that are there to fight, that are there, you know, kind of coming up the ranks, right? Building that loyalty within the clubhouse that's saying, Hey guys, it's a good environment here. It's, you know, we're sparky, we're fun, we're young, whatever it is, we're willing to fight. And Cora is the one that's getting these guys out of town and, you know, Rodriguez was linked back to Boston. Sure. We never we knew that was never gonna happen, right? There was no way that core was going to allow Erod to come back with the public falling out that they had. And the reports as soon as Verdugo got traded was whenever they had that altercation where he got benched because he was late, it was a divorce there immediately, and we knew that he was out of town. Whether he made it through the trade deadline or if it was gonna be the offseason, we knew Verdugo was gonna be gone. So all of these moves just seem like it's a matter of time. And all the big fish that we are, you know seemingly linked to, seemingly checking in on, are still out there. Breslau has also said that, you know, he also wants to pursue the trade market and not just a free agent market as well. And, you know, what he's doing is he's acquiring more, I guess, trade capital. Who knows, right? We we don't know what he's doing at this point in time, but there also hasn't been a lot done around the league. All of the the chips that have fallen ones that were kind of leaning that way to begin with and aren't exactly like oh my god i can't believe you know Soto went to the yankees that was unheard of they emerged as a dark horse nobody thought that was going to happen right and so you know we can cry wolf we can say hey this is terrible you know the red sox are down tremendous but at the same time it's not like hey the red sox offered 60 million for seth lugo the Rays offered him $25 any and he signed with the Rays. You know, if we start getting reports like that, then, you know, that argument carries a lot more water, in my opinion. But at this moment in time, you know, we haven't missed out on our ideal offseason yet, right? We haven't made those moves, sure. And the longer this offseason goes, the more nervous and the more anxious that we're going to get. Absolutely. But it's still early, right? I mean, if anything, it's our fault that we waited this long to give Breslow the reins, Right. And, you know, he's still cutting his teeth. I mean, he's on, what, like day 45 of the job at most? I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to get this angry this early.
1: Well, here's, here's another thing, too. We're, we're talking about starting pitchers, and we're talking about big bangers. The number one issue with the Boston Red Sox has been starting pitching. We can't get people to come over. We can't have people stay healthy. We, we can't have... People go more than five innings on a, a consistent basis. And we can't seem to find players that are, you know, just about done with their careers. I am so nervous for what this rotation. I'm not angry. I'm not going to say I'm PO'd, but I'm just going to like state facts. Numbers don't lie. People do. Outside of Yamamoto, Blake Snell is highly regarded as the number two starting pitcher on the market, expected to get somewhere around $200 over the course of seven years. He's 31 years old. He'll be 38, 39 when his his contract is over, assuming there are no opt-outs. In his two Cy Young years, because he's won it twice, he's 35 wins and 14 losses. Outside of that, he is below average. He has 36 wins and 41 losses. He's a below 500 pitcher. That's the second best option. So here are the facts. If you're the Boston Red Sox and you somehow blunder and you underpay or you don't value Yamamoto to be the number one one option in your tenure as GM, This team will be awful in 2024, probably awful in 2025 because the top pitching option available isn't going to come here. Lucas Giolito could potentially rejuvenate and find himself. Who knows? He didn't do great in 2023, played in three teams and was awful for all three. I've already stated my my point on Lugo. I want no part of that. That That can vamoose. I don't want anything with that one. Erod is gone off of the board. So you're starting to see all the chips for the position that we need to be hyper-focused on, not counting the players that have already left or haven't re-signed or may not resign. This team is not better now than it was last year. That should be a concern if you're the GM of the Boston Red Sox right now. What did I do? Yes, it's been a month and a half, two months, whatever you want to call it. What have I done to help this team? What have I done to better this team? Have I made it worse or not? Those are the questions that we're going to be evaluating over the next couple of months.
2: And believe me, right now, not looking great. Cody. Charlie, you're making my point for me, right? If you're saying the second-best pitcher in this free agent class is a below-average pitcher, why are we going to go and throw all of that money at these pitchers, right? So we'd just be sacrificing our future, sacrificing our you know, salary, our resources to, to players that aren't worth that money, right? Now, sure, Blake Snell could absolutely win another Cy Young, have one of those great magical seasons. That's absolutely on the table. We're not saying that it's not. But if, he, if he's not that guy, when he got shipped to San Diego, we're like, oh, he's in San Diego now. Interesting. I forgot about that. And then, obviously, he catches fire, has a great second half of the season, closes out the Sayon. But why would we spend $200 million on a player then who is potentially a below 500 pitcher, right? I absolutely agree your entire resources have to be focused on Yamamoto. But that's also why I think we hear Craig Breslow say, hey, we're not looking at just free agents. We're looking at trade markets as well, right? Because this free agent class is not great, right? And, Terry, you've made the point. Save it for one great postseason. Montgomery's probably not getting that many looks, right? He's probably going to get some mediocre mid-rotation deal. But he got hot in the postseason. Good for him. He's going to get paid. And if we're the ones that pay him, so be it, right? Because he's got that big game stuff that we're looking for because hopefully we're going to be contending. But if this free agent class isn't great or isn't that attractive and it puts all the pressure on getting Yamamoto, that also tells me that we shouldn't be spending a bunch of money on these dudes as well. I mean, it can't it can't be both. You can't be mad that we're not spending money and then also saying, hey, this class blows. We have to go get this one guy. Like it, That's talking out of both sides of your mouth. So I'm not saying that I'm saying right now
1: you have to be realistic with what you've got, which is not much. You've already, you've already let some pieces go. And I'm not saying, I mean, numbers dictate that Blake Snell is an average pitcher. He's had two outlier years in eight seasons or nine seasons, two times in his career. Has he ever had more than eight wins? And both of those years, he won a Cy Young. He's actually had more years with a sub 500 than, Above 500 record. So I think that right now, I mean, if we're going to talk about trades too, because you just mentioned it, Cody, where, who's coming to Boston and what are we shipping out? We've been talking about Logan Gilbert, nothing from there. No trade ended up happening. And here's the thing. Logan Gilbert was trending higher than Juan Soto was a couple days ago. And all of a sudden, one team pulled out the brass pair and said, okay, take our toys. We want Juan Soto for a one-year rental because there isn't a long-term contract. I expect a long-term contract to be signed because I don't think the Yankees are going to say, yep, you know what? We're going to sell. You know, Higashioka is going to go. King is going to go. They're getting rid of Thorpe, uh, Brito, and um, Vasquez for Trent Grisham, who's garbage, and Juan Soto for a year. They actually made the move. What we're seeing is just, you know, it's like the sequel book of the book that sucked right now. And yes, it only has been a month and a half. There's been no trade. There's been no signing. This is supposed to be a big market team with a large wallet and we, Terry and I found out after doing an episode uh, with one of our – probably one of the best closers in the last 25 years, John Papelbon knew that Boone could have spent more money and chose not to. So why we're not doing it right now, at least make it look like you're going to try and make a move here. And, and And here's the thing. It's the Boston Red Sox. You're going to have to probably overpay because you're the Boston Red Sox.
0: So here's some comments from uh, Breslow earlier. He says, there are a bunch of guys that we're interested in. I'm very confident that those groups know that we are interested in them. To some degree, we're subject to timelines. We've been adamant and aggressive in ensuring that our interest is known He goes on to say, certainly I would have liked for this time to have been more productive in terms of actually walking out of here with starting pitching or a right-handed bat. We can't control those things. I just think it's really important to remain disciplined and run our own race. Okay, so... It sounds to me like there's they're hung up on certain dollar amounts. Like they're putting limits on themselves and they're not willing to exceed those limits. And sometimes you have to do it. Sometimes you have to do it. And notice in those comments uh, that I just quoted, he didn't say anything about trades when not even 72 hours ago, he says, expect us to to accomplish a trade before we sign a starting pitcher. And there, there was no mention of, of trades in there. And w- name a, a pitcher that we were connected to in a trade. Sean McAdam mentioned Logan Gilbert, but there was nothing substantive behind that. It sounded like an example. The Red Sox aren't in on Cease. They're not in on um, Corbin Burns. There's no, nobody that they're connected to. Like it's it's a fair question right now to ask ourselves and ask the audience does Breslow know what he's doing does he know how to do it I just I don't know it, it it just like I said and then when he ends it off I I think it's it's important to remain disciplined and, and to run our own race a, as pitchers are racing off the board it's I, I'm just I'm really frustrated with it and Another thing I thought was interesting, Pete Abraham asked him something about Yamamoto, and they refused to even talk about it. They're like, I'm, we're not commenting on Yamamoto. Yet all this stuff about all these other pitchers got leaked in the last week. And Charlie makes a good point. And, and I mean, we've talked about it before, but you know, it's important to remind ourselves it might not be about us willing to sign Yamamoto it's it's a lot probably going to be a lot more about him being willing to sign with us what if we match the next biggest offer let's just say if it's us and the Yankees they're going to be like hey come to New York it's going to be great you're going to have us the reigning Cy Young right next to you in the rotation there's going to be no pressure you're going to have Juan Soto Aaron Judge you're going to have um you know you're going to have Stanton it's going to be great and we're going to we're going to win a lot of games. And then and then for Breslow, what's he going to do? Say, "Hey, come over here. We've got um let's see, we got Devers and um we've got uh Duran and we've got some terrible defense that we're going to put behind you." But yeah, come play in Boston. Like, how do you how do you sell Yamamoto on that? like we're we're no more appealing than we were you know last September I, I'm <laughs> I told you guys I was going to be airing out some frustrations well, let's pivot just a little bit um this is the tweet that literally ruined my day this was like my moment of doom today and uh it was fairly early in the day It came from Jen McCaffrey. She was just kind of reporting stuff that Breslow was saying. And she says um, Breslow said they feel comfortable with their current group of outfielders following the Verdugo trade and don't have any other outfield moves in the works. He says Rafaela and Abreu are guys they feel could get more at bats next year and they're comfortable. With Duran and Yoshida. So, real quick, just to recap uh, a few of their seasons Jaron Duran, 295 uh, average, 346 on base. He hit eight home runs, uh, 34 doubles, which I love. You know, it seemed like he was a doubles machine. And that was with 332 at bats. He conceivably could have had 60 doubles. That's what he would have been on pace for, you know, with a normal season of. 580 to 600 at bats he you know he got a you know well I guess he didn't get called up too late because uh, what's his name Duvall got hurt pretty quick but then Durant hurt his toe but he- here's where I get pissed off uh Abreu hit 316 with a 388 on base that sounds nice doesn't it that's oh that's that's awesome here's the problem 76 at bats Seventy six at bats. We're we're just going to take all that for granted and assume that's the player he's going to be, and and we might not have a, a an insurance signing, you know, like a guy like Guriel or Teosca Hernandez. If you really still don't value defense, Jorge Soler, uh, you know, uh, and then Rafaela uh, a lot worse than uh, Abreu, uh, only a two forty one average. He only drew four walks, and that's in eighty-three at-bats. So Abreu and Rafaela, the guys they're a little less confident with, and uh, but they're very confident in Duran and Yoshida. I think Abreu does have a decent arm, but you know, two of your outfielders that you're most confident in have noodle arms. You know, they have. Johnny Damon, Jacoby Ellsbury, arms—they're not going to be gunning down guys, taking liberties, trying to, you know, stretch a single into a double. So, uh, so I just—I'm really uncomfortable with the mindset right now. We definitely need—we definitely need a right-handed bat in that outfield. And as it stands right now, Trevor Story is your only right-handed power bat. And if you want to call him that, because he's going to strike out a ton of times and he couldn't catch up to the fastball. Uh, So I don't know how much power he's going to be uh, providing, but I just like even a mid market team can go out and sign a guy like Gurriel and Justin Turner and you're fixed. You're like, okay, that's adequate. And if it's not, we we might be able to address it, you know, by the time summer comes along. But but, uh, apparently that's a huge ask right now. It's a huge ask to get those two guys that aren't going to break the bank. Like, what are we doing? Like,
2: who are we? I echo your your sentiments on being uncomfortable with the outfield, right? You know, I think we've always had, at least in our years of fandom, one if not two outfielders that had strong arms that could kind of cover the one noodle arm, whether it be in center or, you know, left or wherever it was. But with right field being so expansive, you have to have a defensive stalwart, right? You know, it was Mookie for a while. You could play – Uh, JBJ over there, just depending upon the day, Um, you know, Renfro did it for a season. And then Verdugo really kind of grew into that role. He became very defensively proficient, um, played played right field very well and was able to kind of cover some slack for Duran as he kind of got his sea legs, as they say. Um, You know, not a lot of experience, not a lot of exposure to, to the minor league guys coming up. Obviously, you know, our our system and our organization has a lot more eyes on them that we do so hopefully they're seeing something that that can kind of figure it out right but that's going to be a trial by fire you know it is one of the hardest outfield positions to play and you're going to be trying to figure out major league pitching while doing it as well Um, you know we saw what happened with duran it took him basically a whole season to figure it out and you know he was fortunate enough to catch that lightning in a bottle and and kind of have that good front half of the season that he did have uh you know so hopefully he can you know, keep that going, keep that offensive production that really kind of shields any sort of defensive liabilities that he was. Um, but he did improve tremendously on the defensive side of the ball as well. I think we can all agree that his his outfield defense was a lot better. He was, you know, making better routes to the ball. So um, I'm not the most comfortable with our current outfield construction. You know, I hope that's maybe a later in the winter Um signing maybe it's you know one of those yamamoto otani whatever kind of floodgates right everybody's kind of waiting to see what they do trying to you know pinster pennies to to get into those conversations and then once you kind of realize that you're missing out on half a billion dollars you can kind of figure out where you can go from there but uh charlie i think you had something you wanted to add yeah so terry just briefly
1: talked about the the players that we have and Breslow's mindset, feeling comfortable about the current outfield that we have. I mean, I can't think of more than two, maybe three teams in Major League Baseball that have a worse setup outfield right now. I think we might have a bottom five, bottom six outfield right now based on what we've got and what we're hoping for. Because I hope Duran can repeat what he did last year. Because if he can't, then we're in big trouble. Yoshida, I'm hoping he doesn't flame out like he did last year. Because he was expected to be the unanimous rookie of the year. And then completely disappeared. And then Gunnar Henderson took it by storm. So I'm looking at a team like Colorado. Not a big market team. Not a very good outfield. Not a very good team in general. Um, it, it's going to be a little intimidating if we don't make one or two additions. Because I said, you know, get Lourdes Gurriel. Try to see if you can get Teoscar Hernandez, another banger, another right-handed hitter with, with a lot of power. It'd be real adorable seeing him with Fenway Park. That field left would be amazing. Try to get someone like Yamamoto and really open the pocketbook. And then get another bonafide or above average pitcher, maybe you get uh, Jordan Montgomery, maybe you get somebody else, but if you can get a couple of bats and you get a couple of pitchers, that would be great. You miss out on Yamamoto. You miss out on, on Snell and like all these other cats, some of which haven't even been listed to the, to Boston. Again, I'm, I'm going to reiterate the fact that if we're feeling really comfortable with our outfield and we're feeling somewhat comfortable with our starting rotation, Honestly, if you had to give a number right now, how many wins do the Red Sox get in 2024? Knowing what some teams in your division have just done. on Is this a 500 team?
0: No. No. Not to, is this a 78-win team? Uh, it's 70-something. Uh, there will be moves, but one, one of the names we were linked to was Michael A. Taylor. They're like, oh, my God, he hit 21 home runs yeah well he he only hit 220 with a 278 on base so if that's the move yeah i'm 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 kind of starting to trend back down you know into the 70s again right real quick l- l- let's let's remember who we once were here here are the championship outfields we had 2004 trot nixon johnny damon manny ramirez 2007 jd drew jacoby ellsbury manny ramirez 2013, Shane Victorino, Jacoby Ellsbury, Johnny Gomes. 2018, Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley, and Andrew Benintendi. There's only two names on there where you're like, eh, one of them is Gomes, but he was extremely clutch, extremely clutch. And most of our losses in that 2013 run happened when Johnny Gomes did not start the game. They, by the ALCS, they figured, oh my God, we're winning when, when Gomes is starting. So exclusively he, he started all the rest of the games. Uh, And then, you know, we can laugh at Bradley being in there, but you know what? He was the ALCS MVP that year. Uh, These are all proven outfielders. Okay. And I'm not asking you to get a hall of famer. You know, a surefire Hall of Famer into that outfield. I'm not asking for that. I've never asked for the world here. I'm just like, get us some proven, serviceable guys, and that's not what we have. And it's frustrating. It's. I
2: just,
0: I'm just really frustrated. Let's, um, let's move over to uh, Alex Verdugo. Um, We knew he was being traded. And, um, I wasn't yet in a foul mood at the time of the trade, but Charlie, go ahead. Thoughts on it. You know, I always
1: liked Alex Verdugo, but unfortunately there was a, a lot coming out that Verdugo started becoming a little uncomfortable. There was the spat that he had with Alex Kor, I believe there was also, um, a photo of him talking to high bloom where he was, I think just, it was a heated discussion. That doesn't really go well. You don't want your players arguing with your GMs. There's obviously chemistry problems. There was uh, character issues towards the end where he was showing up late to meetings to practice. And I think he just kind of got the feeling that the Red Sox no longer truly cared about him the way that he cared about the Boston Red Sox. And at the end of the day, it's a business. But you just showed 29 other teams. You might have grit, but... You're thinking about you only, and that's—I mean, I get it as a player. That's fine, but then you corrupted with you corrupted the entire team with your toxicity, and now he went to the New York Yankees. We got three players back. We got Richard Fitz, we got Greg Weissert. and then Nicholas Judas. Um, only one that's really relevant and I'm curious to see what is happening with, with Greg Weiser. I don't think Judas is, is all that good to be honest, but that I could be completely wrong in the long run. I just, you know, this is going to be a guy who, when he went to New York, I thought, okay, cool. This is going to be someone they trade for Juan Soto. And then they kept him, which made me think, okay, cool. If you're keeping Alex Verdugo in right field, you're trading for a right fielder, or you have, Aaron Judge there, you don't really need Alex Verdugo to play right field unless there's going to be a shift. So it looks like Aaron Judge is now going to play center field, and they're going to be platooning Alex Verdugo in New York. So he's not going to be hitting against lefties. He's only going to be hitting against righties, where he did find a lot more luck. So look at the the slashes of Verdugo last year, righties against lefties, sizable difference. Only one home run against lefties. Didn't really do that much damage. And I think he's going to benefit by playing at the Little League Stadium known as Yankee Stadium now. Right field is a short porch. You don't have to have a lot of power to park it. And, you know, those two names right there, Verdugo and Soto, both, they're going to have a lot of home runs, more for the, the, the latter uh, with right field. We all saw what Johnny Damon did when he became a New York Yankee. Johnny Damon was a 12 to 15 home run guy. As soon as he goes to New York, he sets a career high in home runs. So that's going to be the thing. It's going to be inflated numbers, but he's only facing against lefties. It is what it is. I'm happy that he's happy in a new, a new team. If he's happy at this point, I, I liked him, but towards the end, I was starting to get a little sick of his behavior.
2: It is what it is. Cody. Cody. I mean, this was a player where the writing was on the wall that he was going to be gone, right? So, you know, it's do you lose him for nothing or do you get something for him? Um, obviously, projecting the prospect game is a dangerous game. We have no idea what these guys are going to be. Whenever a player gets traded, you see the highlights if they have major league experience. And I think it was uh, Weissert that had like 21 inches of horizontal break. Absolutely broke the knees of some Tampa player. But um, you know, as as Charlie mentioned, I loved Verdugo's fight. I loved his spirit. I loved his willingness to come up uh, to the plate and to compete. And, you know, to to do so in Boston isn't easy, and he did it very well. Um, you know, I, I think that we burnt him on both ends, and I think Cora's comments about the team not competing well uh, was probably part of the reason that they had some discord, right? He was probably looking around the locker room like, guys, what are we doing? Why aren't we fighting? Why aren't we, you know? bringing 110 percent and you know whether it rubs the, the guys the wrong way we'll never know right because those are you know the, the locker room conversations that we're not privy to um i did find it interesting that he landed with the yankees uh you know uh, a stadium that has <laughs> notoriously not liked him uh, a fan base that he has beefed with and i do wonder what that right field short porch is going to do for him because um you know they Said that they thought Verdugo could have been a 20 homer guy. They wanted him to bulk up, swing harder, get that launch angle up, and he really struggled. You know, we know that Verdugo's at his best when he's trying to play to the gaps, trying to hit the ball all over the yard. And if he's tempted with that short portion right, trying to get, you know, swing happy, pull happy, that might hurt his stats. And if he doesn't get that consistent playing time, um, you know, I don't know if he's an off the bench kind of contributor, if he needs to be you know, in that daily routine. Um, Another thing to consider here is if Stan's full-time DH, Soto and Verdugo are right field platooning and you push Judge to center, um, that's where he's going to be open to a lot more injuries. That's a lot more ground to cover. That's a lot more running. That's a lot more uh, wall crashing out out in center, gaps to cover. Um, Might not be the best for a player that is oft-injured. Um, so real, real quick, just, Cody, uh, I, I yeah, yeah, watched
0: I watched an interview with Aaron Boone and it sounds like the plan is very much. He is an everyday player. It's just what's the alignment that it, it looks like Soto's going to play right. So is 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 it going to be a judge or Verdugo in, in left and center? Mm hmm. So. yeah
2: could very well be you know it was just uh to kind of piggyback off of charlie's platoon take if that was the route you know we have we have no idea at this moment in time it, sure you know if you can go soto verdugo judge across the outfield that's a very strong outfield plus stanton you know to dispel to judge or you know to give one of those guys a flip-flop day but um Judging center makes me nervous as a guy that has had injury history in the past, soft tissue injuries. You know, he seems to stay the healthiest in in right field, a little bit less ground to cover, not as much, um, you know, impact on the body. But we'll see. Um, It's always good to be able to get something back for a player that has all but, you know, been written out. So in that regard, it's a bummer to see him go, but rather get something back than, than nothing at all.
0: So literally, and I'm not exaggerating here, six to eight seconds before the passing tweet, I tweeted out on the bastards account: Alex Verdugo is the perfect trade chip to get a second baseman or a middle infielder. And then, as you, everyone on Twitter knows, when you send the tweet, you get a you get a box up above that says "tweet sent," and right about when that would have would have appeared I see something with Verdugo in it and my mind is thinking okay that's my tweet getting sent and then I'm like no no no, that's a passing tweet and he's been traded to the Yankees six to eight seconds after I make that tweet and uh, and then we got minor leaguers back and it is what it is I wasn't mad about it uh, you know, I was surprised it was for the with the Yankees four minor leaguers. I figured you can you can certainly address uh, you know a need on your roster with a guy like Verdugo. He really is a plus player, even throughout all his slumps and all that. And then today, when we got when I read the tweet earlier about we're going to stand pat on our outfield, instantly the Hunter Renfro trade kind of started to haunt me because when that trade happened, when it did. I don't remember being that upset about it. Uh, I was more annoyed that Jackie Bradley was coming back in it, and then internally we had a host that's no longer with us say, "Well, well, Bloom's probably just going to DFA Bradley. We only did it for the prospects. We'll DFA Bradley, and guess what? Bradley was an everyday player for, <laughs> and and it it was just it was it was it was frustrating." And then not only was Bradley an everyday player, we never adequately replaced Renfro at all. So, in a sense, this Verdugo trade could come back to haunt us if we don't get, uh, presumably, a right-handed bat. I I think there's going to be elements of Alex Verdugo we're going to be missing next year. You know, the dude never struck out. Never in his career has he had 100 strikeouts. I think 93 is the most he's had in a season. So that's elite. That's a guy that that has very good plate discipline. And, you know, we can all laugh that he's a Yankee. He hates Yankee Stadium. You know, how many times was he jawing at, you know, fans that were screaming at him? You know, Yankee fans when they were at Fenway. And, you know, that's just who Verdugo is. But here's the thing. I think the Yankees are going to enjoy Alex Verdugo, you know, for a year. I saw projections that have him hitting like sixth or seventh. I don't think that's going to happen. They've got DJ LeMahieu at the top of their order. He's going to go back. He's going to go down to the bottom third. Verdugo is going to be put towards the top, first or second. I guarantee you by May, that's where he's going to be as a mainstay. And then Aaron Judge and Juan Soto are going to be sending him home every time. He, the, he's got two elite bats that are going to send him you know across home plate to score. I guarantee you Alex Verdugo is going to have a lot of uh, runs scored. And, and then for, for the Red Sox fans that are like, oh, he's going to be a punk in their clubhouse. He'll be a problem instantly for Aaron Boone. That's not going to happen. He, he's going to have Aaron Judge several feet from him. He's going to have Giancarlo Stanton several feet from him. DJ LeMayhew, Anthony Rizzo, that is a veteran-laden clubhouse, and Alex Verdugo is going to be an altar boy in there, I guarantee you, for a year. If there's any shenanigans, those guys will straighten him out. So uh, Alex Verdugo is going to be fine uh, uh, You know, for at least one year uh, in, in Yankee Stadium. And it's probably going to haunt us, literally, you know, when he comes to Fenway. The thing I love about Alex Verdugo is when he's in the batter's box and he's, he's kind of, you know, zoning in on the pitcher, it's like he's just standing in a regular park, just taking in the sights. There's no, there's no anxiety in his face whatsoever. Like you might see with Duran or even a guy like Devers. He's just so calm. He's just so calm, cool, and collected. And I always loved that about him. I knew we weren't. Move, I knew we were moving on from him, like Cody said. The writing was on the wall. But, but the aspect of the trade that I hate is the fact that we didn't get anything back as far as big leaguers, and it, it doesn't seem for sure we were going to replace him. Now, I just mentioned all those names: Duran, Abreu, Rafaela, Verdugo is going to have a better year. He is going to have a better year than those guys. And and even if he doesn't, he's still going to have a a very good year. Like, he's a bat you can trust. And to not adequately replace him is just really frustrating to me. Uh, You know...
1: I'm curious to see what the reception is going to be at Yankee Stadium is, you know, are they going to say, you know, we're sorry or Yankees fans just going to stay true to their their cause and just, you know, well, we didn't like him then and we'll tolerate him now for as long as he's here. Because Verdugo, if he does end up finding his way into a full time slot for whatever reason, has the capability of being a 20 homer guy at Yankee Stadium. You'll hit 12 to 14 home runs there. That leaves you with six for the remainder of the year elsewhere. I definitely think it's possible. To your point, Verdugo, over under 99 and a half runs.
0: I'm taking the over. Same
1: with me. Absolutely. And you're right. He is going to be an alter boy in New York. Because think about the players that the Red Sox had last year that could, of course, corrected the absolute beep out of that. Justin Turner. I'm not messing with him. Rafael Devers just got a $300 million contract, but how much power does he have in the clubhouse? I really don't know. Chris Sale, probably wouldn't mess with him either. I would respect Kenley Jensen. I don't think I would mess with him. Story, no. You know, your catchers, no. Anybody else in the bullpen, no. Any other infielder, No. Yeah, you mentioned four or five guys just now that are going to be keeping him in line. What about the guys you didn't mention? There's well, another four or five guys there too.
0: Garrett Cole is someone, yeah, even exactly. though he's a pitcher, doesn't um, matter. Aaron Boone, I think, will come across a lot differently. You know, like Boone will like lose his his s h i t, like we've seen him do it on umpires so I don't think I don't think Verdugo even wants to mess with him. I so, like I said, I'm not mad that we traded him. I'm just mad that you know we're we might not replace him that That's what I'm mad about. And I think there will be kind of comparisons to the you know the Renfro trade if things are going sideways for us, you know, in the middle of next year. And as far as those prospects go, Greg Weissert, he's a reliever, right-handed reliever. You're just hoping for the best. The prize of the trade is Richard Fitz, but there's no way he's ever going to be called that in Boston. He is going to be Dick Fitz. That's going to be his name. (laughs) Whether he likes it or not, that's his name now. You don't don't go to Boston and expect, you know, nicey-nice. You know, there's going to be shenanigans. Rich Hill was Dick Mountain, so... Richard Fitz is going to be Dick Fitz, and um, he had the best control of any reliever in the Eastern League in double A. I don't have his exact stats up, but they said he's got very good command of his pitches, but I did see other scouting reports that his ceiling is only that of a a number five pitcher, so that's kind of puzzling to me, but he is the prize of the trade. Uh, the, The Red Sox wanted him last year and um the verdugo deal never happened so this isn't like you know that this could very well turn out to be the alex benellis and david hamilton type trade uh, of you know a couple years ago with renfro charlie go ahead there have been times
1: where, you know, scouts have gotten it wrong. I remember there's an interesting card on uh, Albert Pujols by uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and they gave him very low rates for a lot of a lot of different points. They're like not a major league or not ready. I think Derek Jeter got the same thing and Derek Jeter retired as, you know, uh, largely in part of being a New York Yankee um, is regarded as one of the best shortstops of all time. I I don't Personally think he's the best of all time, but I think that the fact that he played for the Yankees kind of brought him into that upper tier. Uh, Who knows? Honestly, you have to have some highs and some lows, and I don't know how many highs we're going to have in 2024, but if Richard Fitz ends up being one of the highlights, then cool ride it out because this year or in, in 2022, you're looking at 22 and 23 numbers in 22 at high a ball had a sub one era struck out 38 guys in 33 innings only two and runs the following year 11 and 5 record 163 strikeouts and 152 innings so it's there i'm curious to see if he can carry on with it um a five or four you know right now for the boston red sox wouldn't be completely crazy because who knows how many injuries we're gonna have this year last year we got decimated by them and It wouldn't be completely insane to see somebody like that elevated into a rotation spot. Crazier things have happened. Jacoby Ellsbury, like you mentioned on a prior show, was someone who was in the minor leagues and then got thrust into the spotlight and became an everyday guy uh, in the postseason. So anything could happen, and uh, I'm hoping Richard Fitz
2: ends up being one of those bright spots. Cody. I've never been the best with, with speculating, right. You know, um, whenever, whenever there's a trade made, they always post highlights. always show, you know, videos of guys hitting home runs or nasty, nasty movement on the pitch or, you know, blowing gas. Um, You just hope that there was something that they liked or something that, you know, the pitching program was like, man, if we get our hands on this guy, you know, we've identified this, we can leverage that, or, you know, this really excites us. And, you know, Charlie pulled up some great stats that, you know, gives us reason to believe. Right. And, you know, I'm also viewing this from a, you know, kind of a two way. If, if we're able to retain that talent, mold it, develop it, build it. Great. Right. You know, we're getting value for something that was already halfway out the door and if not, and we flip it for, you know, those cost control, um, major league caliber players that works great too, right? Like if you got to have people on your roster to trade, you know, we do have all of the prospects that were drafted in the Bloom era. Um, those are the prize possessions, the prize jewels or whatever. Um, but you know, this, this only helps stock the coverage a little bit more to make some of those deals, whether it be, you know, a Burns or somewhere else out there. And so, you know, hope, hope for the best, right? We got a a glass is always half full when it comes to prospects. You always want to believe that, that there's something that caught the eye of the team or the GMs or the scouts that, that made them desirable.
0: I don't have a ton to add. um, So I think we can uh, go ahead and wrap on this show uh it would be hard to uh well never mind i'm not gonna say could i be more negative next time because you never know you never know um cody has something
2: yeah i just wanted to give a quick shout out to joe castiglione uh the winner of the ford c frick um uh announcer award uh you know he's been a guy that we get on on the radio broadcast year after year i think he's what 41 years now um so you know i just wanted to give a quick shout out to him he makes the games what they are for me at least you know as a as a kid uh growing up in florida we didn't really have the nesson channel so a lot of my uh, red sox exposure came through the radio station um and i was able to to hear his voice and you know for me that's synonymous with red sox baseball so just wanted to give a quick shout out to to a guy on a a legendary career hopefully we get to hear his name um in years forward is he I know he's doing like a reduced role. He's not completely gone yet. Right. From from the broadcast.
0: Correct. He's doing 60 or 80 games this year. And then he's going to wrap. And then my, my hope is that we'll send O'Brien back over there. Very cool. Yeah. O'Brien actually got an extension last winter. So multi-year. So anyway, I'd that's be okay. I'd be okay
1: with that too. T Bye. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a a conversation for a January podcast when we're desperate for content. But everybody have a, a great second half of your week. Take care.